Art of the Kickstart, episode 94. Welcome to the theartofthekickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating and creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Guys, I don't always recommend crowdfunding fulfillment, but when I do, I prefer eFulfillmentService.com. Guys, launching a Kickstarter campaign isn't exactly easy. That's why the majority of Kickstarters fail, despite how hard interns work. I put together a free six-step email mini course to try to eradicate this evil issue and help inventors and entrepreneurs everywhere. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, you can get the new and improved six-step guide that's going to walk you step-by-step through making your Kickstarter, your crowdfunding campaign happen. Check it out, artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, and make your crowdfunding dreams happen. Hey guys, welcome to Art of the Kickstart. Today we've got an incredible interview. We're having Michael Margolis, the storyteller himself, on the line today. How'd I meet Michael? Michael was in Chiang Mai, and he gave an absolutely incredible course talk on the power of storytelling in business and life. And I wanted to get him on here because storytelling is huge in Kickstarter. So thank you so much for coming on today, Michael. I'm pumped to talk to you. Hey, well, thank you, brother. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. Yes, you absolutely delivered some value bombs last time, and that's what you're here for. But the first thing we always kick these interviews off with, this is off the spot for you. Life quote, a success quote. What do you live by? Oh, that's all good, man. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the king of sound bites and cheesy aphorisms. But the, you know, when you ask me this question, you know, the thing actually I try to live by is uh, the following, which is we teach what we need to learn most. And, um, you know, that has a lot of meaning for me because what I've noticed is the thing that we're most passionate about, the thing that we're so-called called to do or create in the world, there's always something really personal about that. And it's almost like our own medicine as we're going on the journey. And anybody who's an entrepreneur or a creator or an innovator you know, there's something you're always kind of constantly bumping up against, and it's your own self. And uh, so that quotes sort of my constant reminder about, you know, just my own personal self and, and how that plays out and what I'm trying to create. And education's finally starting to realize that. They're getting people, they realize teaching it to someone else, you don't really understand it until you can explain it. And that's what you're doing now. You're teaching people about storytelling. Is that what you need to learn about most? What is your story? Yeah, you know, so. I mean, it's interesting. People always want to know, you know, Michael, how'd you get into this? What's your background? And um, in certain respects, I I got into storytelling because I used to suck at storytelling. And it's interesting, though. A part of me was always good with ideas. I used to always see things other people didn't see. You know, I grew up in a very creative family. My father's an inventor and mad scientist. My mom's a teacher, artist, and toy designer. So, I mean, you can just imagine what that household was like. But for all of my family's creative genius, the other half is really communications of how do you convey, you know, a breakthrough product or idea. That, that was harder in my family. And um, likewise, you know, I, I think that's been something I've, I've sort of carried, you know, sort of that cross, so to speak. And early in my career as an entrepreneur, I realized that... We all live or die 
on our ability to tell the story. That's what people are buying into. And, um, you know, I can remember when I was like 22 years old. You still there, by the way? Yes, I'm still here. I just muted the mic to let the audio stay good. I was just double checking um, since uh, we were having these weird trouble. So I, I can remember uh, when I was 22 years old, my, one of my first startups, actually, I was a social entrepreneur, which is basically, you know, using prince, business principles for social change. And I had this big meeting with my boss slash mentor. He was basically the co-founder of my organization and my founding board chairman. He was kind of like my mentor. I looked up to him. Pretty much he was hands off. He was like, Michael, just make it happen. And, and I had been working my butt off. I'd gotten you know, funding from the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations. We've been written up by Fast Company. Like We were kind of going places, but I was totally in over my head. And I remember going in to meet with him. And in this meeting, like, didn't matter what I said or what I was trying to convey, he just didn't get it. And the way that I felt like, like, I felt like he just didn't hear me or understand me to the point where I was so tongue tied and twisted, I literally choked on my own tongue. <laughs> to the point where literally the meeting stopped because he was like, Michael, are you okay? What, what the hell is going on? And and I couldn't, I was like, and, and I finally literally had to run out of his office, you know, with my head between my, you know, sort of, you know, caught between my, you know, between my tail. And I remember coming out of that experience going, I can't possibly let that ever happen again. And um, I think that was one of the things that really set me off on this quest. It's been now 12 years uh, where I've really been looking at the process of business and transformational storytelling with a real focus on innovation. So any of us who are doing something that's new or different, how do you translate that into cultural acceptance? You know, how do you get others to see what you see? Which is, I think, uh, one of the, the biggest frustrations that, that so many of us on this path face. Absolutely. Because telling the story, that's really how you sell sell your startup, sell your product. But before we get into the business implications of this, I want to ask you a little bit more about your story, your story, where you come from. So Michael, I I remember in Chiang Mai, I remember this really specifically, you were telling a story, the story of your childhood and how as a family and as kids, you had almost this game, these shoebox stories where you would create a sequence of events or a landscape, and you had to tell or create a story around that and how that really impacted you, helped you further later on in life. My question for you, how much do you think youth, family environment, and the way we grow up influences our own story growing up, creating businesses, and living lives? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I mean, I I have to say, I think there's... And and it cuts both ways in in that there's... there are ways that our story of origin actually, uh, you know, it informs us, it teaches us, it gives us sort of an orientation for how we see the world. So in my case, especially my mom, artist and toy designer, you talked about those shoe boxes. What we would do is well, what everybody else was throwing away as trash or, you know, selling at a garage sale, we would buy, and it's what my mother called super junk. And we would then take all of these materials that, um, and we would turn them, basically assemble them as into uh, what we called a world in a box. So we would take an antique box and birthday or wedding 
buying them a gift, we would create this world in a box that basically told their life story in a really creative, artistic way. And it took me years to realize actually how influential those early experiences were about how I look at the story creation process and, and how I just look at the world building process, you know, in, in any situation. So there's a way that, that our early experiences can be really seminal in a positive way. And equally, our early experiences sometimes are the trigger of what we're running away from or what we stand against. So it, it's usually for us a combination of both, where there's usually some, you know, in, in story, the inciting incident. And we can sometimes have multiple inciting incidents for each turn in the story. That's the sort of the trigger event. You know, when I was 22 and, and I, you know, literally almost choked on my tongue, that was an inciting incident. You know, you want to look for what were those moments, those times where inspiration either struck you right over the head or sometimes it's more subtle. Here's where the seed was planted. And, and the importance of this as an innovator is that you're doing something that is completely new and different. So you have to anchor that in the familiar. And the best way to anchor something in the familiar is if whatever you're talking about, let's say you're a, you've come up with this really cool new environmental science breakthrough in this product that you're creating for your or, or maybe you have uh, a vision for a, you know, a new album of this you know, really cool thing music-wise you're creating or whatever the thing is that you're building. If you can give people history behind it, see, the more history something has, the more real we perceive it to be. And that, that's a really important principle to the innovation and creative process. You know, I'll give you one, one quick, quick more example on this piece for everybody, which is, you know, let, let's say, let's say I, I had in my hand here a Zippo lighter and I said to you, okay, you know, how, how much is this worth? And what would you say? Zippo lighter. How, yeah. how much do you think it's worth? It's a dollar, a dollar-ish. All right. Well, it's a Zippo lighter. So it's, it's actually one of those like metallic ones. Maybe two. I'm not a smoker, so I'm no so, not so good. No worries. All right. Well, so if you want to buy a Zippo lighter, it's probably about $15, $20 US. Okay. Now, what if I told you, though, this is actually a World War II Zippo lighter? Now, how much maybe? Suddenly you got the auction guys out. They're all excited. It's probably probably close to 50 100 bucks, depending on who used it. Yeah. Right. Good call. Okay. So now we're up to about 50 or 100 bucks. Now, what if we took a close look at this Zippo lighter? We turned it upside down and we noticed it's actually monogrammed with the initials of General Marshall. And guess what? We have a photo of General Marshall smoking a cigar, celebratory cigar, with this lighter in hand. Now, how much is it worth? Oh, those World War II guys are going crazy. You probably got a couple hundred dollar, thousand dollar product. They're pumped. Pawn stars. Shablam, right? So we're still talking about the same metallic lighter, right? That's got lighter fluid, a flame, a flint. I mean, it's just an object. But depending on what story we attach to that object, we perceive it to have greater and greater value. 
So that's a really important principle for anybody who's creating something new. The more history something has, the more real we perceive it to be. And even further, if it's the right kind of history, the right kind of provenance, right? Like in Pawn Stars, the right kind of provenance, then the higher perception of value that object might even have. So that creates an obvious follow-up, Michael. We're talking products. We're talking objects. This is Kickstarter. How can people do that themselves, creating a product? They're building a startup and just getting started. I have some theories, but you're the expert on this. How do people build an incredible story into their product? Well, it's like the, it's like the, the saying goes, the victors write the history books. So you actually want to, you know, there's a careful construction of history, you know, and, and, and if you geek out on this, I mean, the process of history, of writing history, somebody writes the history, you know, like that textbook that you read in high school or, you know, or, or, or a book that you buy about World War II, somebody's writing it. There's a way that you're interpreting the past from a certain point of view. So the product what you want to think about is, for instance, like origins, right? What's the backstory behind this product? And there's a few different things that you can turn that are sort of for authenticity. So, for instance, one of them is where is this thing from, right? Like, so uh, you can talk about like where's where's this thing sourced from, and and that could be. You know, if, if your product is connected to a certain history, a certain geography, a certain um, historical event, right? So, so literally, what's the source or origin behind your product? A second one that you could look at would be formulation. How is this thing made, right? And in the process of making it, is it handmade? Maybe it's machine made, but there's a there's a you know special like fancy steel cutter that you use that's, you know, the, the sort of what, you know, the same steel cutter that's used by Apple to make their iPhones, you know, it's like, you kind of want to like orient people to the things that you're using to make this that we go, oh, wow, this is serious. This is legit. Um, the ingredients that go into the product, you know, if it's a, a, an actual like food product, for instance, we're like organic. Oh, Wow. This is locally sourced. You know, there's all these different ways that you can increase the perceived value of the product based on what goes into it. Other one might be things like pedigree. Here's my favorite example. Moleskin notebooks. You guys know those moleskin notebooks? They're those cool little notebooks. They're, they're, they've got a black cover with rounded corners and um, a little elastic band. And these are the legendary notebooks that were once used by Picasso, by Hemingway, by uh, Chatwin, the travel writer. And basically, this is where they jotted down their ideas and reflections and musings long before they became the famous icons we know them to be. And um, these notebooks actually used to be made by a small little print house on the left bank of Paris until the 1980s when that print house went out of business. And then a few years later, this enterprising Italian entrepreneur, he bought the rights to Moleskin, reintroduced it on the world stage, 
age in the lateness and basically positioned it for the creative class. Now, I don't know about you, but you cannot go to a meeting in an advertising agency or a consulting firm or a technology startup anywhere in New York, San Francisco, London, you name it, where you will not see somebody at, at the conference table with a moleskin notebook, right? They've become like the notebooks of our generation. And I let me tell you, a huge part of it is because of the story that's been wrapped around it. You that story and you go, that is so fucking cool, man. Like, I want to be part of that story, right? It's, it's, um, and, and so it's a great example of, of the ways that, that you can sort of build on this epic backstory for increasing the perceived value and emotional connection we have to what you're doing. Yeah, because people want to feel a part of they, that story. They want to feel like the Picasso, the Hemingway. And do you know what I love, Michael? You told that same story back in Chiang Mai. And I think that brings up something really important for Kickstarters, for product creators, for storytellers. And that's repeating the story, repeating the pitch. Do you think the more practice, the more times you tell a story, the more practice that you have with it, the better it comes out, the more salesy it is, and the more effective you're able to convey that to customers? Yes. And two halves to it, Matt. You know, so your story becomes more times you tell it, but more importantly, it's about telling it in front of an audience. It's about the relationship of how the story is being received. So you can practice as much as you want in front of your mirror. It's completely different than being live, even in on one conversation with somebody else. You have to remember that storytelling is about relationship. This isn't so, so this isn't just about memorizing some script and going wah, 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 wah. It's about your, your audience and how do they identify, connect, or see themselves in your story. How do, you and, gauge, how do you gauge that? I got to cut you off. How do you gauge that while you're talking to them? Because that is so critical to be able to connect with people. Yeah. Well, the way you gauge that is by paying attention. The story that you're telling, even though... You, on the surface, it might be about you. It's never about you. It's about your audience. And so how are you making it easy for them to go, yes, that's how I see it. right? Yes, wow, what you're, that is truth, man. What you just said, I so believe in that. I so agree with that. And so you got to just pay attention to body language. You got to pay attention. Are people leaning in? Are people stimulated or are they kind of shut down? Are they, are they looking away from you? And, you know, in the best, the best kind of story with the best kind of audience is one that's conversational, right? That's the best kind when you actually get your audience to participate in that dialogue or inquiry. So, you know, there's nothing worse than a monologue that just goes on and on and on. And that's a really high-risk proposition. You're basically flying without a net, and it's really easy to fall on your ass. So this is one of the reasons why, why we emphasize, you know, within StoryU, which is our, our global learning community, uh, basically teaching business and transformational storytelling. One of our guiding principles is presence trumps performance. So one of the biggest mistakes you can make with storytelling is trying to perform. Because unless you're a world-class performer, you're going to kind of fuck it up. Yeah, there's no you're spontaneity. Edges. What's that, Matt? 
Yeah, there's no spontaneity. It just feels canned. Exactly. And so, you know, it's helpful to have a, a core spine to your story that you know, all right, this is the fundamental of my message. But then you always need to adapt and be responsive to your environment and to the audience that you're speaking to. And, and one of the things you want to think about, actually, is where are you t- taking risk in the story? Because for me as the listener, if I don't feel you taking risk, if you don't feel alive, in t- how am I supposed to feel alive in listening or receiving the story? So this is why you gotta, you got to connect to like the passion part of your story. Why does this matter to you? And what is it about the thing that matters to you that might also connect and bridge with your audience? And that's really where the deepest and most important work really is. It is. And that transitions amazingly well into videos, Kickstarter videos. I know you're not Brad Pitt's acting coach, but at the same time, you've got some pretty good storytelling skills from what I can tell. Kickstarter videos are all about storytelling, telling the story of the product, the startup, and how it's going to change the customer's life. What are some strategies that you think, based off of everything you've learned, that people could use to really implement and have videos that don't feel canned, but feel authentic and exciting for backers out there? Yeah, so here's what I would offer to to everyone, which is uh, think about, as you build your script, that actually you have three core stories that you need to nail. And these are these three core stories are critical for any startup, for any entrepreneur, frankly, for any business, but especially when you're doing something that's new or different. So here's the three stories. There's the origin story. There's the product story. And then there's the customer story. Those are the three things that you need to nail. Now, there's an art to this. You don't necessarily always do it in that order of origin, product, and customer. You can work, you can weave it around, but what you're basically doing is your, your origin story gets to the why, your product story gets to the what, and your customer story gets to the who. And what, you're, what you need to do is establish relevance in the audience's mind. You need to grab their attention very quickly out of the gate where they go, oh, here's actually something that might be for me. Now, I'll give you one tip that, that's one of my favorite strategies for how you take something that's around innovation and how you actually find a frame that's going to immediately capture people's attention. And, and here's how it works. What you want to do is actually look at the world around you. Um, how has the world changed in the last five or 10 years to make your product or your innovation more possible today than ever before? What is it about the times we live in right now? that allow you to invent or create this thing that we couldn't have done or dreamed of five or 10 years ago. And what's the, the new possibility or opportunity that comes with that? So, so that actually is part of, uh, it's the first step in a six-step process that we call the undeniable story, which is, which is again, the context for what you're doing. Remember, when you start this video, when people start watching your video, they're basically asking themselves, where am I? 
Like literally, what, what, what world am I in? Is this relevant to me? What is this about? So you need to frame a context where people go, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. I see that. Oh, yeah. You know, I've, I've always wanted to have a boat that's a hot tub, right, or, or whatever the innovation is, or I've always wanted some, some cool little cozy for my beer that stays warm while I party or whatever the thing is. I've seen all sorts of wild stuff on, you know, Kickstarters and Indiegogo campaigns and so on. So it's about setting context. And here's the cool thing about context, Matt, is you want to use how the world around you to legitimize and validate the story of the product you're about to introduce. And then, you see, if you do that right, you're basically up for an undeniable story. Like, oh, yeah, you know, the world has changed and we can do this now. And haven't you always wanted to um, be able to have this and this? Well, we couldn't before, but now you can. Wow. Yeah, now that you mention it, now that you put it that way, yes. All right, now you've got people, you're taking them down a path into your product and then also explaining to them the origin behind it and why they can trust and believe in you as the, 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 the visionary, as the entrepreneur that's going to be able to solve to create this new breakthrough product or offering. And that's perfect too, because you're essentially getting rid of the doubts that people have you're completely bypassing the why do I need this and going into this is why I could never have it and now I can. I want to jump now. You're a pretty prolific storyteller, Michael. Who are some people that you would say, some stories that you would advise people to check out if they're really trying to learn how to absolutely succeed with storytelling? This isn't just a one-time thing. This is something you have to focus on in your business and in your life day in and day out. What would you recommend? I know you've got some great resources. We'll get to those in a sec. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. There, there's a lot of brilliant storytellers and out there. And the challenge, though, is that two of them are really teaching in the context of 21st century business and innovation. So, so that's one of the gaps that you want to really look for, you know, because it's, it's hard to just learn how to be a better performance storyteller and then apply that to the work you're doing. But that said, there, there are a Few, a few books and uh, leaders out there that come to mind, I would definitely recommend. If you want to get better at the art of the pitch, check out Oren Klaff. That's K-L-A-F-F. His book is Pitch Anything. And he definitely has a very alpha dog approach to the pitch process. But he's you know raised you know more than a billion dollars for various different clients in silicon private equity type of environment on how do you pitch an entrepreneurial startup. So it, it, that, that's one really good reference point for many of you. You know, another, another great source for how to just get better at the presentation story, uh, Nancy Duarte's book, Resonate, is another great resource that, that explores some of these pieces. You know, you can certainly take a look at a wide range of different TED Talks, although I mean, there's some amazing TED Talks out there. They definitely emphasize performance, you know, and, and, and so I would just caution you as a listener right now of um, don't try to be like that other person on stage, you know. It, um, it's just not going to come off as the most authentic. I'm trying to think who else, 
you know, I am also a big yeah, I hear fan. You're of, pretty good at it too, right? Well, you know, we have, we definitely have a, a, a very unique approach, which is we come at storytelling sideways. Cause I, I realized was if you just try to teach people storytelling head on, we all come up against our fears of being self-conscious. Uh, am I doing this right? Uh, what are people thinking of me? Uh, I'm not, I'm just not a good storyteller. That's not me. I'm not like my uncle Eddie. I could never tell stories. Like there's all of this crap that comes up in all of us where we think we suck at storytelling. So we come at it very side. I helping helping people become more comfortable in their and more confident that you have a story worth telling. Because when you have the story that's worth telling, it will tell itself. It can be rough around the edge. Clients will be forgiving because they'll be like, damn, you know, you're on to something. You know, I like you. I'm rooting for you. And that's that's a really important principle, which is how do you make yourself more likable? And, and this is often one of the things that a lot of startup entrepreneurs actually, um, they overlook, which is, you know, a lot of us who, who identify with the idea of being a disruptor, underneath being a disruptor for some of us, and, and I was guilty of this for many, many years in my life. Yeah, so, so you know, part of us, you know, as disruptors, and, and, and for, for many, many years in my own life, I identified as a disruptor. You know, and I'm going to do this my own way. And I'm going to show the world. And, and underneath that part that identifies as a disruptor is a part of us that is saying, fuck you to the world. And, and so that's the thing to just be careful about, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's fine that sometimes, you know, look, we're, we're driven as entrepreneurs because we're like, no, this is not good enough. There, there could be a better way of doing this. And that's often the thing that sets us off on the quest. But when you're coming back down the mountain, you know, on that hero's journey, right? The hero's journey doesn't end at the top. I totally forget the second half of the story, which is the long walk home. Like you got to make your way back down the mountain and in the valley, that magic, so others can drink from the well. And you come back from being out in the desert and people are like, WTF? They don't know what the hell you're talking about. So you got you to gotta look at where's the edge and is there a way that you're telling the story that's actually repelling more away from you instead of empathizing. That's the customer story and that's what that's all about. How do you really empathize and help people know how much you care about their world and their needs? And, and in the process, make yourself more likable and endearing so that they're rooting for you because they know that you're rooting for them. Does that make sense? That makes 100% sense. I talked to a great entrepreneur in the past, John Saddington. He said a similar thing. Runs an accelerator and says, it just seems like entrepreneurs, they're always, we've all got bits of egos. And you got to try to remember, there's other people, they have feelings too. And while it sounds lame and cliche, you want people to help you. It's going to make your life easier. It's going to make their life better. It's a win-win situation. Michael, thank you for coming on. You've shared an awesome story, pun intended. And I think people are really going to take a ton away from this. Let's say people want to learn more about storytelling. They want to crush their Kickstarter, crush their business. Where is the best place for them to find you and get some storytelling insight? Yeah, well, I really want to encourage and invite everybody to come join us 
in our learning community. And, and the best thing that you can do is actually sign up for, we have a free course. It's an email course that's called the Red Pill of Storytelling. So, you know, you notice there's parts of what we've been talking about here that, that's kind of getting underneath the surface, you know, like the real revolutionary side to how you use story to transform your world and to bring your innovation breakthrough into acceptance. And that's what we teach in our, in our free email series called The Red Pill. And, and what you want to do is go to getstoried.com. That's uh, G-E-T-S-T-O-R-I-E-D.com. Get Storied, right? Because story is a verb, not just a noun. So getstoried.com forward slash red pill. And uh, you're going to take that red pill. It's going to take you right into uh, a conversation about how you can start to think about your own personal story and uh, how that plays out to your journey as an entrepreneur. And, you know, obviously our website has lots of other resources and great things for you to check out in, in different courses. But check out our free course, The Red Pill. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Get Storied. On Twitter is a place where uh, constantly sharing uh, latest musings and insights there too. It's like you guys are combining the Matrix and Pixar to create an epic business experience for everybody. Thanks for coming on today, Michael. You've been an awesome guest. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Make sure you tell Michael thank you for sharing a kick-ass story. Thanks, Michael. Hey, thanks again, Matt. It's really been a blast. Hey, guys. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you liked the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. And if you like the show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day.